Hey, it's Karen Hunter from the Karen Hunter Show on Sirius XM Urban View. Here's a highlight from today's show. She is a civil rights attorney, but she has written this book uh, about a 16-year-old boy who is minding his business, doing a little artwork, chilling, and then the next thing he knows, he's in 1866. What in the hell? Uh, Ninth generation Louisiananin. Let me welcome to the show the one and only Michelle Coles. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me today. Good to see you. Um, I love people who write, and I think, you know, lawyers are natural writers because they're also voracious readers. Most lawyers have had to read a lot. That's why Grisham and them, you know, lawyers are just great mm-hmm. storytellers because there's just so much content that you have to pour through. What What was the entry point for this story? Where did this come from? So this story was really motivated and inspired by the Mother Emanuel massacre. Um, you know, June 17, 2015, I was on maternity leave with my second son. And, um, you know, when that massacre happened and it was just like, I had, I had never experienced anything like that in my lifetime. I'm, I'm 40 years old. I wasn't around in the 1950s and 60s. And I had never seen that type of hatred that was so in your face. And it was so shocking that it came from such a young person, a teenager at that. And so, you know, it was like, what's been put into his mind in his few little years on earth that he would feel this way to, you know, walk in a church and kill nine innocent people that welcomes him into the fold. Um, But more importantly, I was looking at my baby son and and thinking, how do I prepare him to grow up in a world where people are going to feel that way about him? Um, You know, what kind of context does he need to understand to interact and engage and and just be be prepared? Um, And when I started looking into the history of the church, I was really surprised to find out that it was founded by Denmark Vesey, who um, the name may be familiar. He led one of the uh, largest attempted slave revolts out of um, South out of Charleston, South Carolina. That was it was thwarted um, in the early 1820s. And then um, and then I read that the pastor of the church during the Reconstruction era was a man named Richard Kane, and he was also one of the first black members of Congress. And then I saw that like Booker T. Washington used to speak at the church and Coretta Scott King all the way up into the 1960s led a protest um, and was met by uh, bayonet wielding members of the South Carolina National Guard. And then you go up to 2015 and the, the pastor Clementa Pinckney was also a South Carolina state legislator, uh, state legislator. And when I saw the, the, the history of America kind of through that arc and through that lens of the church, all the dots really connected. And I was like, I've got to find a way to tell a story that bridges this history so that people growing up right now today can kind of see the whole picture of, of what's happening. Um, and it was even more jarring, you know, because in that moment, I think most of the country was feeling like we were, um, you know, experiencing uh, a new day in America, you know, with the election of the first black president. And, you know, there was so much progress that was occurring that I think, you know, a lot of us felt like maybe the worst of our racial history was behind us. And then to be hit with that moment, it was like, well, you know, maybe it's just on pause. And if we're not prepared, it'll be right in our face again. So um, that was that was the inspiration behind the story. Wow. The inspiration is so good. Now I got to read the book. 
<laughs> like when you when you start talking about the history and and putting and connecting the dots i feel like honestly that's so much of what we're missing about how amazing our legacy is in this country mm. right like we we have so much of that what what we're fed and what we're, what's pushed upon us is this is you know, it's trauma porn, right? Like we need to have stories about enslavement, right? But we need to have that contextualized with the fact that that we have been fighting and uprising and building and yeah. loving and creating community and and persevering in the midst of all of these things, right? Like we need more stories that connect our incredible perseverance and ability to make so much out of what yes. it feels like nothing to have that context so that younger black kids cannot think that their entire history is just enslavement exactly. and just back of the bus right like yes. there's gotta be something to connect that dot and i honestly think it, it's it's literature and it is art yeah we're gonna find that I, I mean, I'm so glad. I'm so glad you said that. And I forgot to even say the name of my book. My book is Black Was the Ink. It comes out on November 2nd. So definitely check it out. That but was that my responsibility. Me. I apologize. I got so <laughs> caught up in the story. That's okay. I apologize. Black Was the Ink. We'll tweet it out as well so people can get their, their pre-order. Uh, November what? November 2nd. Okay. All right. Well, yes, but that I mean what you just said, that was the spirit that the story was written in because it's like our whole story is like overcoming. You know, every obstacle that's been placed in our path, we have found a way to resist the oppression and overcome. And so uh in in my story, the present day teenager Malcolm, his name is Malcolm, he gets transported to reconstruction era America. And all of a sudden, he is working side by side with Black congressmen. And there were 15 Black congressmen in the 1870s. Two of them were United States senators. How many people know that fact? I didn't know that fact growing up, but, but it, 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 it says something, right? And some of the places that Malcolm's visiting while he's in the past, uh, one place is called the Wormley Hotel. And it was this super like fancy, fine establishment across the street from the White House. If you ever go to DC, if you go to uh, Joe's, um, I think Cafe. it's called Joe's Crab Shack. Yeah, yeah. That's where the Wormley Hotel was. And that hotel was owned by a black man. Okay, and all types of dignitaries and congresspeople and everybody would hang out at his hotel. And it was like everything that the formerly enslaved people must have felt when slavery ended and they really felt like they were entering this new day of freedom. I wanted to embody that spirit. Like, what did it feel like when you could walk away from those shackles and make your life what you wanted it to be and have these freedom and opportunities? And that existed. Um, for about a 10 year period until there was a uprising of domestic terrorism, you know, fueled by white supremacy that resulted in massacres and murders and, you know, all types of, you know, horrible things that really changed the direction of the country into the Jim Crow era. And so when people talk about a slow moving coup or an attempted coup, I think it's really important to remember that at least one time in our history, there's already been a successful coup. And that was how they ended um, you know, reconstruction through violence and turned us you know, into a, a different, a, a period of a second enslavement through uh, Jim Crow laws. 866-801-8255. Uh, Michelle Coles, 
civil rights attorney uh, who wrote a book. Uh, it comes out in November, November 2nd. Black was the ink. How, what was the process for you? Because you're a lawyer, you're doing this work mm -hmm. by day. Yeah. You're raising children. Yeah. When did you have time to write and talk about, you know, the, the page coming alive for you? Yeah. Well, I mean, so I mentioned I was on maternity leave and I have, I have four boys. Um, and I was on maternity what? leave. Wait a minute. How do you write in a house with four kids? Yeah. Yeah. No, wait, four boys though. Jill, I, not just I do children. from eight to one. They're eight to one. Jesus. Yeah. So I'm, I'm busy, but, um, but you know what? I, I'm right. I wrote this story for them. And I wrote, I wrote it with their survival on my mind and on my heart. And so I couldn't stop, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't take a break. Cause it's like the whole time I'm writing, there's another, you know, unarmed black man being shot by a police officer. There's another story of a black kindergartner kid being handcuffed and taken out of the classroom. There's another, you know, this after the other. And it's like, I can't let that be my kids. You know, like I, I have to, I have to give them the knowledge and hopefully other kids the knowledge so that we can figure out how to turn this corner and, you know, put, put these type of like horrible incidents in our rear view mirror instead of in our future. And so that motivated me. Um, but yeah, I was on maternity leave with my second. And in that time I started researching because I, I knew some about the reconstruction era, but it's really skipped over almost entirely in schools. And so most people, you know, I, like most people, did not know a lot about it. Um, and so I spent a lot of time researching, you know, Eric Foner is a, is a huge academic in this field, reading his books. Henry Louis Gates did an awesome PBS special on Reconstruction. Uh, Will Smith, uh, I mean, this was after I'd already written the book, but if you haven't seen Will Smith's Amend on, um, I think it's on Amazon, you know, that's about, I mean, that, that was basically a nonfiction version of what my, my book is, um, you know, in a, in a fiction way. And so I spent a lot of time researching and then I would just write at night after I put my kids down, I would just kind of start my third job. I had my civil rights job in the day, being a mom after work and then start my third job as an author once I got them uh, to bed and, you know, just, just kept going. You talked oh, about, you, you talked about in your, in your sort of ideation about reconstruction era, um, Black folks who were who sat at the epicenter of power, and I, I only know Hiram Rebels because yeah. of the Mississippi connection growing up in Mississippi, and okay. I know that Blanche Bruce too. But yes. like, well, how did you think through how much of like actual history do I drop in here, and then how much do I fictionalize to make it? Are there are do we have appearances from real life, you know, historical fig, uh, figures and fixtures in this too? Yes. Yes. So, so, so my character, Malcolm, he's kind of trapped between two worlds, the present and the past. Okay. So he's, he's spending about half his life in the present, still dealing with modern day racial injustices, the state he's in Mississippi. He was state to, uh, sent to stay on his family's farm in Mississippi and the state's trying to take his family's land um, to expand a highway. They had already real happens all the time in Mississippi too. And I in mean, the South, Louisiana, Mississippi, Louisiana. Yeah, it happened, it happened to my so much black land, but yeah, yeah. And so I mean, so so much of what's in this book is actually based on like the experiences of my family, my history, South Louisiana, Baton Rouge. And um, so, yeah, so the state is trying to take their land. And that's actually what sets off the whole story is because Malcolm's ancestor, who is comes to him in like a ghost form. And he was the one that had originally got the land. And he's like, Malcolm, you can't let him take my land. 
And, you know, but Malcolm's not from there. He doesn't care about farms. He's from DC. He's living a city life. He's like, he could care less. And so the ancestor wants to take him on a journey so he can understand what that land means and what those sacrifices, what sacrifices took place for them to have that land. And so that's what really sets off the journey to Reconstruction Era America. But while he is in the 1870s, so, so the ancestor Cedric, um, when he was alive, he was a legislative aide to the first Black members of Congress. And so he worked for Highland Rebels. That was his first, uh, yeah. So, so when the ancestor sends Malcolm to the past, he sends him back into his body. And so now Malcolm, all of a sudden, is working with Hiram Rebels. And, and so first he works with Hiram Rebels, then he ends up working with, because Hiram Rebels only stayed for a year yeah. um, in, in, in the Senate. Um, so then he works with a man named Robert Elliott, who is a congressman from South Carolina, who was just beyond incredible. Like if you go and read some of this man's speeches, he was so eloquent. And I mean, he he like gave one of the most incredible speeches, which I um, fictional fictionalized in my book, where uh, he was debating, uh, there was a Civil Rights Act um, that ended up getting passed in 1875. So it was the Civil Rights Act of 1875. And it was basically like a precursor for the 1964 Civil Rights Act. It had a lot of the same provisions. Um, and it was a very heated debate in Congress back in the 1870s of whether they should pass this. And this bill would you know, prohibit discrimination in basically all places open to the public. And so there was a big debate and on one side of the debate was Robert Elliott. And on the other side of the debate was a congressman from Georgia whose name was Alexander Stevens. And he had been the vice president of the Confederacy. Okay. They let this man back in Congress, you know, for a period, they said the, the former Confederate soldiers, y'all fought against your country. You were traitors. You can't serve in Congress. That only lasted a couple of years. And then they were like, okay, all's forgiven. Y'all can come back. So Alexander Stevens is debating Robert Elliott. Okay. And Robert Elliott wipes the floor with this man through, through his speech and through his arguments. I mean, he literally, like he said, you know, we, the Congress has been gracious enough to allow you to come back in here and you're going to come in here and try to besmirch the constitution. And I mean, it was just, it was crazy. Like the, the newspapers went wild. The people in the audience and Congress went wild. And, you know, and it's like, here it is. He's, and, and I have to add, he was a dark skinned black man. Okay. And people don't even know really, like, it's real murky what his background was. It's unclear whether he was enslaved or, because um, it was like he was a lawyer. He spoke multiple languages. He could quote the Greek, the, the classics. And if you had been a slave, like, how would you have? access to this kind of information because it was, you know, you'd be killed for trying to learn how to read or write. So some people said he was raised in England. Some people said Jamaica. It's very murky where Robert Elliott came from, but he is amazing and everyone should know his name and read his speeches. Um, but that's, that's, just, that's just one example. There's plenty of examples in the book. Uh, and then after Robert Elliott, my character ends up working for um, Blanche Bruce. So he, so yeah, so he goes from Hiram Elliott, I mean, Hiram Revels to Robert Elliott to Blanche Bruce. And that's what brings him eventually back to Mississippi where he buys the land um, for his family. That Malcolm, In real, that in real time, in real yeah. time, he saves a day. You yeah. Know, but, but as you're, as you're talking, I'm, I'm also thinking again, I said this earlier that we are doomed to repeat history if we don't learn from it, uh, to have all those black people in Congress who are ready on day one to serve and to lead their, their communities. Right. right? right. Um, within five years, they were all gone. 
Yeah. Because this government decided to let traders back in and not hold them accountable, which we're seeing the same thing happen from January 6th. Traders are not held accountable. accountable. Right. And then we even right. have people covering for them whose lives were on the line, like Mike Pence, covering for them to li- to set the table for reclaiming of power because they understand it's really about power. And there aren't two sides when it comes to power, Right. So a lot of those black people that served in Congress with distinction were drummed out, were threatened with their lives. And most of them did not run for reelection because they were threatened. A lot of them, you know, left, you know, to preserve their lives and their family. What can we learn moving forward? You're in civil rights. You're an attorney. You, you understand how this, this goes. Are you optimistic about where we are right now politically? Um, I think there are some some dark storm clouds on the horizon, uh, definitely. But I feel like we we have to remain hopeful. Um, I mean, I feel like our you know our people have never been a people to just give up and and you know throw our hands up. Like I feel like we have to be hopeful. And for me personally, I feel like the hope is in trying to bridge the the divide through talking to one another and sharing our stories and helping trying to expand people's perspectives. And so that's a big reason why I wrote this book. I mean, not only were Black people doing incredible things in the Reconstruction era, but the white allies at that time were also, you know, incredible and, you know, and, and really wanted to see America be realized as a nation that, you know, fulfilled the promises in the Declaration of the Parent, Declaration of Independence of, you know, you know, equal, equal opportunity for all and, and all, you know, everything that America could be. And so it wasn't just black people that were trying to make that dream come true. It was white people like Senator Charles Sumner Mm -hmm. and um, Congressman Benjamin Butler and the people who didn't get monuments, okay, Mm -hmm. made after them. And so a, a lot of the people that did, they didn't have that same vision for how we could be a united country, but the ones who did have that vision were forgotten and erased you know, by history. And so I think it's very important to elevate them as well. And in one of the characters in my story in the present day is a young white boy who um, initially Malcolm and and this guy have an altercation Um, and it, it, you know, it doesn't go well. And uh, through, through the story and through that, through that young man also being exposed to a part of history that he wasn't aware of, it also sparked something in him where he wants to be a part of bringing about a positive change and making sure justice is done. And I, and I do think that there is, um, is potential for that if we keep talking to each other and, you know, sharing our stories with one another. I love it. Uh, did you read Octavia Butler's Kindred? I did not before. I actually didn't read it before I started writing this, What? but I read it. I, yeah. I read it afterwards and I was like, Oh my gosh, I love it. I'm feeling it so much. Yes. So um, this this book is for I read a lot of young adult, whatever that means, because I think good writing is good writing. It doesn't matter if the protagonist is 16, 25, 30, 100, you know, it's just good writing. Uh, but you wrote this specifically for your boys growing up. What's the age range of your children? So my oldest is eight, but the mark, the target audience for the book is 13 plus. Um, just because it's there's it's 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 too complicated you know, to really break down for them at their level, but I wanted them to be ready. You know, something would be ready for them when they are at a place where they can receive it. And so, so I wrote it for a 13 and up. All right. And give some uh, parenting tips for anyone listening. You have four boys under the age of eight (laughs) and a career and all of the, you told us how you, you managed juggling the writing. 
but how how do you do this? How do you do this, Michelle? What what is your secret, <laughs> your magic? Uh, I'm sure you have a nice uh, spouse. I'm sure that's that's probably part yeah, of it. Yeah, yeah, definitely have a wonderful, wonderful husband who's a, my partner and you know has my back and uh, and we just you know we support each other. Um, so I mean, he was actually he gave me so much great insight as well as I was writing this book because he spent his career on Capitol Hill. So, you know, in a way um, he was, when he left, he was the, uh, the um, executive director of the Congressional Black Caucus. And, um, and so I was able to just get a lot of insight on what was life like, life like as a Capitol Hill staffer so that I could make this feel realistic and, you know, send Malcolm on this journey where he was basically doing what my husband, you know, did every day. Um, but yes, having a great, you know, great partner helps. And I just, honestly, I just have fun with it. You know, like I love being a mom. I think my kids are, are a riot. And so, you know, I'm having a lot of fun with them. I had a lot of fun writing the book. Um, so it, it just, you know, I don't know. I feel like I'm doing what I enjoy. So it, it works. It, you, you, and you don't look again, I, I'm harping on it because you do not look bothered, which no, you, you don't, or beleaguered, you know, <laughs> you imagine somebody with four boys would be like coming in with bubble gum and paper clips to their hair. Just you, you uh-uh. look like you are, are happy. And uh, so that speaks volumes about the, the life that you've crafted for yourself. Um, and this book is amazing. Uh, it is called the uh, black was the ink. And what, what's the impetus impetus for this title? Black was the ink. Okay. So the title has a couple of different connections and it all comes together at the end of the book. But some of the reasons um, that it was named that is my main character, Malcolm, is a is an artist. That's one of the ways that he expresses himself and that he processes things that he's experiencing. And so he ends up drawing a lot from his from what he sees in reconstruction and what he sees in the in the present. Um, but another reason is it's really talking about how almost like everything that you think of when you when you want to describe well, what is America, what is American democracy, what does America represent? So much of that is because of the labor and and the work of Black people um, to make this country into this, you know, into this democracy, into this example to, for, to the world. Because it, it wasn't that, you know, it wasn't that before the Civil War ended. It wasn't that before the Voting Rights Act was passed. And so, um, and so it's, it's really been through the um, advocacy for and by Black people that have, that has allowed, um, you know, this, this America uh, to what is best about America to come to fruition in terms of like our political governance. And so I wanted to give credit and acknowledgement to that since all of our laws are written in ink, it's the, it's the, the blood of, of black people throwing, uh, flowing through that, that makes mm. this, this country real. You Powerful. See. Michelle Coles, thank you for being here today. <laughs> black was the ink y'all. Uh, it's the Karen at the show. Drew McCaskill sticking around. We'll be right back. Thank you. All right, so where are the boys right now? Are they in are they in school? Are they are they out in the streets or no? <laughs> in the streets, they're all in the basement. 
Okay, you keep them locked in the basement while you're locked. Working? They're locked yeah. up, locked yeah. up with daddy, locked Woo. up in the basement. And I had my sister. Um, my sister came to help me because we actually decided to homeschool, and we weren't trying to mess around with this COVID thing. And so, uh, <laughs> wow. Yeah, I just gotta give you. Oh my goodness, you all you of get, it, all of them. <laughs> you get everything. Oh my gosh. Yes. All right, thank well, you. Thank, thank you. you. Uh, this book looks amazing. The artwork and everything too. Um, and much success. New York Times bestseller. I'm gonna call it. Thank you. Thank you. I, I hope so. I just want to get the message out there. You know, I feel like I feel like it has a lot of potential to really like shift mindsets and. Oh, I forgot to even. Oh man, is my time up? I forgot yep. something great that I didn't even remember right. to tell. Uh, hit record, Lindsay. Hit record. We'll we'll get it. Go ahead, Lindsay. Okay. Hit record. I don't see. Okay, go ahead. So, Michelle, what what did you forget? Okay, so the other thing I forgot to tell you is that we were talking about the the January sixth, you know, insurrection, right? When you look at some of the images where um, where people were running past, you can see. In one of the images where the um, one of the rioters was running up the step and the black police officer was kind of running backwards, trying to move him away from the uh, Senate doors, the, the portrait in the background is Blanche Bruce watching the whole thing unfold. Okay, and there's another there's another scene where the guy was wearing the Viking helmet or whatever, and he had the Confederate flag and he was pacing in the hallway behind him was Charles Sumner, Senator Sumner, who was the white the white senator that pushed was and pushed beaten. to get the Civil Rights Act. But wasn't he beaten on the floor? Wasn't he beaten Charles Sumner? Um, and his blood is he, literally he got, Charles Sumner got beaten. Yes, that's true. Yes, Charles Sumner got beaten on the Senate floor because he insulted a South Carolinian congressman about, you know, loving. He said, you love slavery the way a man loves his whore. He basically called. He said that to him. And the it was the cousin of the person was insulted and they ended up beating uh, Senator Sumner on the on the Senate floor with a cane. And he walked with a limp ever since then. But that didn't stop him for fighting for equal rights for all Americans. Um, so just just incredible, you know, things. There's another man um, that I briefly mentioned in the book. Um, um, ah, blanking on his name right now. He was the first um, black man to be admitted to practice law before the Supreme Court. And Charles Sumner moved, oh, his name was John Rock. I'm so sorry, I blinked on his name. His name was John Rock. Charles Sumner moved for his admission so that he could practice before the Supreme Court the day after the 13th Amendment was passed. And John Rock was not only a lawyer, he was a doctor, he was a teacher, all of this in 1865. So there's just so many incredible people and stories that I think we we all have to um, try to lift up and change the narrative. How do you spell John's last name? R-O-C-K, Rock. Oh, John Michael Rock. Rock. Okay, I'm going to Yeah, and he, he's, credited, um, he's credited with coming up with the phrase, Black is beautiful. Hey, this is Karen Hunter. You can listen to the Karen Hunter Show live every Monday through Friday at 3 p.m. East on Sirius XM Urban View Channel 126 or anytime on the Sirius XM app.